0: Welcome to Span Reads, not your typical rereads podcast—a 17-shot series where we reread the Cosmere and a giant nerds about it. Today, we will be talking about the magic in *The Hero of Ages*. Joining me is Beech, hi, also known as First Rainbow Rose. Also joining me is Ian.
1: Hey, I'm a reader.
0: And next, we've got Matt,
1: comatose on the forums.
0: Also, we have Rosemary. I'm Kymith. And finally, we've got Katie. Aeonin. And I am Jessie, or Lady Lameness on the forums of Discord. This episode will have spoilers for Mistborn Era 1 only. There won't be any other spoilers for outside of the three Mistborn Era 1 books. Okay, on to magic. Uh, Ian, would you like to give us an overview of Hemalergy?
2: Well, before we get into hemology like we do learn a, a little like we learn about electrum like super True. interesting um i don't think we learn anything about of me in this book that we didn't already know but yes, yes the main thing is hemology <laughs> you can stab people with metal and steal parts of their souls and then stab yourself and you can get abilities the epigraphs in this book in particular talk a lot about heme and about i mean the, about
0: the only way we get to find out the information
2: mm-hmm. hmm. vin's earring was a spike the whole time it was like this is how like the inquisitors were made like this explains the weird spikes they found in the coloss bodies so it's like it's been a part of the world the entire time and we finally get to explain it and understand it which is great
1: the the Condra too like mm-hmm. getting ten point of views with the with the blessings and then there's a dotted line there <laughs> mm-hmm.
0: one thing um, that i picked up on that i wish i had paid better attention to because by the time i picked up on it i went oh is vin's earring theoretically if it's supposed to be a hemorrhagic spike that means that only when she's wearing her earring should she be piercing the copper cloud mm-hmm but i believe that she like i'm like wait but does that mean like do we have any evidence of her piercing a copper cloud and not wearing the earring or is it just a case of she's always wearing the earring
2: she's always wearing the earring
3: yeah almost always Mm -hmm. and the only time she's been able to take in the mists have been very those few points where she's had it out for one reason or another Mm -hmm. and one of the epigraphs even details those three instances yeah. yeah.
0: One of the epigraphs um, goes over how Ruin was subtly manipulating her so that she was always going to wear the earring and how she had actually almost stopped wearing it up till mm-hmm. the point that she puts it back in when she gets to Kelsey's crew. And then what he says to her prompts her to keep it in. And then Ruin just kind of keeps pushing on that to keep it mm-hmm. in her ear the whole time.
1: Well, yeah. And when she when she puts it in, it's it reading it in hindsight. When she puts it in for the first time, there's not really like an emotional attachment to it or anything. Like she just kind of says, Oh, I need to bring this with me. So I'm putting it in so that I'm not mm-hmm. carrying it. Right. Like, so she, she wants to bring it with her. So she's putting it in the only thing she got from her mother. And then, but yeah, as it goes on, she's like, cause the conversation with Kelsey here is she's like, oh, should I stop wearing my earring? Because like it's made of metal. Because it's made of metal? And he's like, oh no, if it's piercing your skin it, it should be fine. And then, it, yeah, all of a sudden in later books as it goes on, she's like, oh yeah, no, I like keeping my earring in. Or, oh no, I don't want to wear noblewoman earrings. I just want to wear just mm-hmm. this earring. And it's like, you didn't seem that attached to it before. Yeah, it's, it's no easy to...
2: It
3: act to her, like, no!
1: Yeah,
2: it's like, it's easy to mistake that. as like, oh, like, she's, like, she's growing more in touch with her emotions. It's like, like, she is finding this attachment to the thing. Like, no, it's Ruin. It's Ruin. (laughs) It's Ruin. But it's also interesting, like, comparing, like, her, because, like, that's how, like, Ruin can speak to her, like, as Mm -hmm. Reen. Like, comparing that to, like, Ruin speaking to Spook as Kelsier. And, like, there's a couple of moments, like, um, like from Sazet's point of view, where, like, Spook says something al- along the lines of, like, oh, like, I think if Kelsier was here, this is exactly what he would suggest. And it's like, you know, it's like, Ruin's whispering in his ear, like, in Kelsier's voice. And just like, mm-hmm. mm. dirty, rotten, eldritch god of destruction.
0: <laughs> something that I... Um picked up on this time that I think I've missed every other time is that mm-hmm. when Kelsier appears to spook in the marketplace like near the end Quillian mm-hmm. also sees him mm-hmm. and quellian's reaction is very much one that made me think that he's seen Ruin before as well and Ruin's been actively appearing enough to quellian that he's not surprised to suddenly see Kelsier on the stage
2: mm-hmm. Oh like because oh, 100% like yeah. I think ruin was doing the same thing with Quellian that like he was doing with spook like like telling because like Quellian's like oh like i'm doing what the survivor wants to do it's like like yeah like who you think is the survivor
0: but Quellian also placed his own spike apparently like according to one of the epigraphs
3: Quellian was already a little unstable enough probably enough that ruin could whisper to him because ruin can do that if if you're not it's just how I guess he
0: made a spike and used that and just killed someone Mm -hmm. for it well
1: well, yeah like we don't know for example Zane doesn't remember how he got his spike Um, and Vin's mom also I think was unstable enough the thing I find interesting with the hemorrhage is the how he builds on the flaw in hemorrhage right because that was introduced at the end of the last book with Tensoon and the the Kolos, right? Mm-hmm. Um and then we see in this book, as we learn about Ruin's power, oh Ruin controls the Inquisitors. That's established in the previous book a little, but like confirmed in the first March chapter, right? Mm-hmm. Um and then you don't though, at least I didn't the first time I read it, think, oh, like Vin and Elend are running around with these huge kolos armies that they're controlling with emotional allomancy. Mm -hmm. Um, And then, of course, they get to that key moment and Ruin's like, oh, yeah, I could have taken all of your armies at any time. (laughs) Mm -hmm. And I really really like that Brandon gave us the information about the extent of Ruin's powers to, like, figure that out. Because, like, sometimes with these god characters, you can get a little, like, they can do whatever they want when the plot demands it. And Ruin's Mm -hmm. power still felt like it had clear limits. And there was just enough misdirection that you didn't foresee necessarily how he was going to use it.
3: When it does happen, it's that aha moment of, oh, this makes sense.
0: Speaking of the colossus, something that I don't understand but accept as cool is that when they, when did and Elin take control of them, they have that control whether they're burning metals or not afterwards, and whether they're awake or whether they're asleep. And I have no idea how that works on like a romantics level.
3: But I, it was cool. Has something to do with connection. Yeah, because like, it always like- comes down to connection. So they use the emotional element to establish the connection to that to the colossus, and sense. it stays unless something else interferes. That makes sense.
1: I do wonder with the condra since they're like, seem more difficult to control and more like individual, if the condra wouldn't be able to control, be controlled like passively, like the colos are. Like, I wonder if that's something, and maybe it's partially the Kolos were intentionally built that way to be especially susceptible, um, that you could maintain that connection since. They are kind of made to be mindless super armies right um so yeah i'm kind of curious about that
2: yeah plausible agreed i actually want to touch on the inquisitors again with because they have spikes driven through their eyes so they can't see with normal human vision um a thing i picked up on for the first time in this book is like Uh, Marsh raised an eyebrow, scanning the room with his spiked eyes. The way his sight worked, it was hard for him to distinguish. It was hard for him to distinguish colors, but he was familiar enough with his powers now that he could pick them out if he wanted. The allomantic lines from the metals inside of most things were really quite expressive. And like that is interesting to me because it's not just like he can see the lines like he can get more information from them. And, like, it reminds me of when, in Bell of Ascension, when Vin, like, seeked, um, breathe and, like, picked up, like, what emotions he was soothing. Is like, do, like, those alimentic sight lines, like, also transmit more information than we think? Which, like, like, the phrasing here is a little ambiguous, but it's, like, it's an interesting question for me going forward.
4: I was going to quote the exact same thing, that exact same passage. Mm-hmm. So that's great. One line that's right after that that you mm-hmm. didn't quote that might be relevant is To Marsh, the mansion was a place of pristine whiteness and bright blobs of expensive color. Mm-hmm. Which I'm not sure if that tells us much more. But it, like maybe mm-hmm. that the blobs of color were the lines of light maybe the lines of light change color if you mm-hmm. figure out how to tap to that i don't know
2: yeah because like for vin and like everyone else like they're the lines are described as blue
4: yes they're all which makes
2: sense blue. based off of like the chemistry of iron but like the mechanics of inquisitor steel site is like there. there's more there than i originally expected
3: i mean there's obviously enough variance in sensitivity that apparently marsh can read words scratched into metal even though ruin can't
1: you know that's an interesting question i had is could ruin could marsh have read the message if it wasn't scratched into metal like i know i think there's some mention that he can see the metals in ink um Mm -hmm. or or whatever but yeah i do kind of wonder if maybe he could see better because it was scratched in metal and if it was in like Mm. although i guess most writing like even if you're writing with lead like lead's a metallic right so Mm -hmm. you could see that too
3: technically it's graphite not really lead but yeah yeah a bit
0: that I really liked was actually about allomancy and it isn't really about the magic mechanics of it but more the behavioural patterns that can come Mm -hmm. out of it and it's Vin talking about the idea of allomancy addiction and I just found it really really fascinating Uh, she goes she immediately tried to burn Pewter to strengthen her body the lack of metal was was like missing a limb as she sat up Coughing further and growing dizzy, she found herself craving the metal more than she had imagined that she ever would. Allomancy wasn't supposed to be addictive, not like certain herbs and poisons. However, at that moment she could have sworn that all the scientists and philosophers were flat out wrong. And I just, I found it really interesting because like clearly allomancy doesn't have addictive properties to it, but the behavioral patterns can become Mm. addictive. And I just, really like that little bit of insight that was put in because
3: that makes a lot of sense. Well, I think also what it's trying to tell us there is that Vin was at least partway on the pathway to being a pewter savant because she had burned Mm -hmm. so much of it over the course Mm -hmm. of her life. And I know there's an epigraph in, in here that talks about how most people who Try to become pewter savants, wind up killing themselves on the way. And Vin has come close to that before. Mm-hmm. So I think that's what that was intended to, to try to get across is that, yeah, Vin was savanting herself on pewter. It would be yeah, like, very interesting if the
0: downside to being a pewter savant was something that was akin to addiction and like that feeling mm-hmm. of constantly needing more. That would be a very interesting
3: downside. But if you're so used to, ha- to, depending on that extra strength, if it's gone, you just feel so yeah. weak and helpless.
0: And if it makes you want to have more and more, it's got the exact same like setup as a drug would, making mm-hmm. you have more and more and more until it eventually kills you.
3: Well, I think it, what it is, it, when when it, go on the path to a pewter savant, killing you means that you push your body so hard that you're just so close to the edge so much that if you run out of pewter at the wrong time you die die.
1: yeah Mm -hmm. well yeah your body becomes yeah like more physically dependent on it similar to with tin because you could presume likely that since they're two they're paired metals they have similar savant um effects um and with tin you get so used to the heightened senses that when you stop burning it you can't feel or Mm -hmm. perceive anything right and so to me like yeah it makes sense with pewter you get so used to the increase that um you know you're weak and clumsy and unhealthy basically without it because your body is like oh i have this great magic propping me up i don't need like uh other stuff so
4: some of your skills would like fall into disuse as your body mm-hmm. didn't need to practice them anymore mm-hmm.
1: although one thing i liked about this book is they gave in another um fighting without alamancy moment when she uses like the the chicken grease to get out of the 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 cuffs and mm-hmm. throws just screws at people them.
3: Yeah, yeah. Vin is a bamf with or without alimony. Yeah, <laughs>
2: and like she's clever about it. Yeah, because like, th- like as Eni said, like the like the throwing screws at people is like they're one hundred percent gonna think you're pushing them at her. Them. It's like, I yes, brilliant. Um, another thing I want to pick up is the first and well ascension in, in this book. Like Vin started noticing like a change in the mist around her it's like it started it no longer like danced around her it was repelled it was like because of her spike
3: mm-hmm. and um, and but, we get an epigraph that says the longer you have your spike in the more your body adjusts to it and the more it affects the mists mm-hmm. yeah. which but, is like, why it didn't at first
2: compared to like there's a scene with ellen like right after she gets captured where like he's He really is starting to, like, starting that, like, downward slope of, like, where, until he has a realization that he's a lot like the Lord Ruler. Yet Elend found it hard to distrust the mist. They just felt right. How could they be his enemy? They spun, swirling around him just slightly as he burned metals, like leaves spinning in a playful wind. As he stood there, they seemed to soothe away his concerns about Vin's captivity, giving him confidence that she would find a way out. Now that, in the book, that's a lowercase s on soothe. But I'm like, is that actually a capital S, soothe? Because we we know the Miss Spirits um, used emotional alomancy on him at the end of *Well of Ascension. Was Larus trying to prop Elend up here?
1: I think so.
0: Yeah, I could see it
1: yeah definitely
0: yeah i could absolutely Mm -hmm. see that being especially where he later you know a few days later shows up and actually you know Mm full-on shows up to him it would make sense that he would already be aware of where ellen is mentally and emotionally
3: Mm -hmm. i mean swallowing that bead of preservation connected him to preservation in a very strong way Mm -hmm. so makes sense that and the fact that i think he and vin are the only mistborn left at this point
2: mm-hmm. and i just think ellen's personality is very in tune with preservation which also like goes into like him like vin being able to like directly fuel his allomancy at the end of the book i think them being married was a huge part of that but also like he's just naturally connected to the power that she now is mm like it's it all plays a role and well we we've spoken of preservation ruins also gets like a couple of really great lines in describing himself that yes. I want to mention cuz descriptions of shards are like one of my favorite things cuz earlier on it's like all things are subject to their own natures like you cannot blame me for what it, for being what I am Without me, nothing would end. Nothing could end. And therefore, nothing could grow. I am life. Would you fight life itself? And then later on, you realize the forces I can bring up to bear against you, child. You realize the power I have, the destruction I represent. I am the mountains that crush. I am waves that crash. I am storms that shatter. I am the end. Like, yes. Yes. <laughs> pretty oh, yeah, really really scary
4: mm-hmm. he also calls himself passion at one point yeah yeah. yeah. just bring that up to hurt everyone
2: mm-hmm. yeah but it's like this like interesting like duality within ruin of like heat life and the end like and it's like oh like because like we do focus very much on like the intent of a shard when they're really much more expansive than a single word can really define.
3: And they're also, you know, missing pe- mm-hmm. a, a lot because they were never meant to be. It's like when when Seizid picks up the powers at the end, he realizes even though that they try to repel each other, they were always meant to be part of each other and they never mm-hmm. should have been broken. And that's, that's, that, that's a clue. Mm-hmm. The things we can't talk about this episode
2: and we also like like learned about like shards are blind to metal at least on schedule and it's like mm-hmm. being like that's why the caches are all like near mineral deposits and it's like atium was smuggled in like crates of coins and it's like it's like all oh, like so cool and i i i like brandon's writing guys i like his attention to detail magic is cool the mysticness like was creating alimancers like yeah. that's a huge thing it also explains like why it didn't impact like the terrorist people or the nobles
3: because
4: cool. they aren't <clears throat> they don't have any allomancy
3: potential in them
1: yeah or yeah, in, like, in the nobles case the nobles most or
3: people. they've already because they've already been tested they yeah. already know they're not an allomancer
1: like I I I assume if a noble hadn't gone through that Mm -hmm. process they would have been affected possibly like the the scour Mm -hmm.
2: yeah basically like noble society is very good at drawing out any residual um, allomancy allomantic potential and so and like the the myths like will like add investiture like if necessary like to get somebody to the point where they can snap because like they need to hit 16% every single time mm. so that like there is some fiddling with the genetics there but like noble society like also already brings them below the point that like mm. the um mist, mist sickness like cares about so it's like
1: yeah See, Spook becoming a Mistborn was foreshadowed because you had preservation turning people into Mistings. You have CZ turning Spook into a Mistborn. It's clearly established that's part of the the power set. <laughs> I
3: think Ian's going to hurt you, man. <laughs>
2: <laughs> and like, I can. Like, I DM you in a D&D game. Like, I have control. <laughs> <laughs>
1: just kidding
3: <laughs> <laughs> backtracking backtracking backtracking
0: any other magic things people want to talk about
1: I, I think one other thing about the, the magic in this book that I like is well mainly just Vin's last fight scene like you just get to see it pushed like allomancy like it's like okay it's alamancy on steroids um and just Mm -hmm. seeing what she's able to do with it is so satisfying and exciting and right from the like marsh is going down for the final blow and she catches it and then just starts wrecking and she's Mm -hmm. yeah it's it's so
3: good bones you just broke they ain't broke no more
1: yeah
2: seeing like the full extent of what allomancy can do and it's like we also get like a little bit of that with Ellen, where like he burned more atium than any person in history, yeah, ex- excluding yeah. like the other like hundred hundreds of soldiers yeah. that were doing the exact same thing. But like still, like that was a lot of atium. Was like it was always used so sparingly, but like yep, yeah. No hold bars. It's it's a final boss fight. You can use all of your consume, consumables. <laughs> probably all your
3: probably burned more ATM than every other Mistborn in history combined.
1: Yeah. In, yeah. And like, yeah, uh, it's it's so good. And like the way I loved the way Vin's ascension is described, mm-hmm. um, like how she's kind of getting like okay, I'm just recovered, I'm still a normal Mistborn, but then I'm doing things I've never done before, and now I'm jumping so high I'm above the clouds, and now I'm swatting Inquisitors around like flies, and then and it's like this steady buildup of power, and then she blows up Kredik Shaw, and you're like, whoa, 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 what is going on here? And then she puffs away into Mist, because the literal, power has subsumed her too much. like literal, the,
3: literal puff of magic blue smoke.
1: Yeah, the way <laughs> Brandon, that's a great example, I think, of showing not telling because he's not saying, I'm getting more powerful by the second, but he's showing it and it, it works very effectively.
0: Thank you for watching, everyone. You can find us at 17thshard.com for your news, discussion, theories, and fun that you could ever want. You can find us on Facebook, Twitter, SoundCloud, leave us a review on iTunes, subscribe on YouTube, and support us on Patreon. See you all next time. Bye. Bye.